You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. Good morning, everybody. We are um, in our series, Living in the Spirit. And uh, I want to talk to you today about spiritual battles. I want to talk to you about fighting spiritual battles, okay? Now, the whole notion of spiritual warfare just does not sit well with most people in North America. Western cultures just honestly don't even give that much credibility to this kind of a conversation. And yet you go to Latin America, you go to African countries, you go to Eastern nations, you go to just about any other part of the world, And those people uh, understand all too well the power of the demonic. They they bump into it on a regular basis in their lives. Um, And the Bible tells us that there is a real spiritual enemy. And our spiritual enemy wants to destroy every good thing that God has given to us. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy your self-image. He wants to destroy you. That, this, this enemy actually exists in the scripture. It's interesting because in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, we have this, we have this cosmic spiritual conflict that sets everything in motion. Everything in motion, and, then it's, and, and because of that, that conflict, that event in, in the heavenlies, um, we can tie all of our pain and all of our brokenness and all of our dysfunction to that one event. And, that's, and those are the passages where we are introduced to Satan. Satan was an a archangel. He was a, a captain of the hosts of angels. So he had leadership role in heaven. And he, he, he became incredibly vain and became incredibly proud of, of, of his beauty, of his role, of his, of, uh, of his leadership. And, and the Bible says that, that, that when he was cast out of God's presence, out of heaven, one third of the angels went with him. And from that time on, the devil has made it his mission to destroy everything that looks like God. Everything, every good thing that comes from the Father. And the truth of the matter is that when we, when we see him, uh, he shows up right at the beginning of the, the Adam and Eve narrative in, this, in the book of Genesis. And one of the things we understand about our enemy is that he can take on just about any form. He comes at us in so many different ways. And the scriptures tell us that, that he is uh, cunning and he is deceptive, okay? Scriptures call him the father of lies. Now, there's something as I was preparing for this talk that I came across that I probably never thought about before. And that is that Satan is highly, highly intelligent. He's highly intelligent. Somehow, I always envisioned him as being this brute kind of coming at us with with blind hatred and greed and lust. And those are basically, you know, as 
his favorite weapons. But the more I began to read and the more I began to look at this, the more I realized that he comes at you with structured, informed plans to destroy you. Because he knows you better than you know you. He has been studying you. He knows your childhood. He knows your 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 habits. He knows your weakness. He knows your patterns. He knows your pain. He knows your Achilles heel. He knows you. And he's observed human behavior from the beginning of time. And so what we are dealing with here is some an enemy that's very, very intelligent. It's rather than thinking he's coming at you with a club, he's coming at you having spent some time in the boardroom figuring out the best way to take you out. We need to take him seriously. And that's why the, the Apostle Paul writes to the churches in Ephesus and Corinth. And he said, uh, when it comes to fighting your spiritual enemy, you better know how to use some basic weapons. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20 goes like this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand. And having done all, standing. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take your shield of faith with which to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. All right? Rather than kind of telling you, preaching a sermon on uh, what the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and all those things look like. I came to realize that what, what the Apostle Paul is basically telling us to do in this passage is to suit up every day. To suit up every day, he said, gird yourself, your heart, your mind with truth. Protect your heart with what? What do you protect your heart with? He doesn't say specifically here, but we can talk about that another time. He's, he's saying, protect your heart with this one revelation, that you're the much-loved son and daughter of God. That's what you protect your heart with. You take God's peace everywhere you go, everywhere you walk. Your faith will protect you from the lies of them. Your faith. Your faith in what? Your faith in truth. He said, gird your mind with hope. Gird your mind with the word of God and pray all kinds of prayers. Pray prayers, silent prayers, loud prayers, intercession prayers, praise prayers, thank God prayers, all kinds of prayers. You see, what's interesting here is that very basically what he's saying that the armor is about protecting the filter you use to understand everything. 
protecting the filter that you use to understand everything. If you want to, one of the one of the amazing things about our, our our ability as human beings to understand stuff is we actually filter virtually everything. Very, there's not a single person in this room that is experiencing this room for what it is. Because you filter every thought that you have through everything you've been through. You're pulling this moment through your past. You, you, you filter the way you think about yourself. You filter that through, through your past. I'll experience you differently than you experience yourself because I don't know all your past. I don't know all that stuff that's going on in your head, right? So we filter every experience and what this passage is telling us is to filter your understanding through truth. It's a mind thing. I'll tell you what, we need to be a people who are incredibly intentional about our thoughts. The older I get, the more and the more I ask myself, why am I actually thinking what I'm thinking? Where does this come from? Why, why, why am I processing? Why am I so angry? Why am I hurt? Why am I, what is going on here? Because if Satan can corrupt the filter, he can corrupt the life. Think about it. This is incredibly great idea. If I was the devil, this is exactly what I would do. I just pervert your filter and then I go smoke cigarette because my work is done. You, you, your entire life will be hamstrung because your filter is distorted. It's polluted. It's corrupted. If the filter says you're a loser and you're always going to be a loser, then guess how you act all of your life? like a loser. If the filter says you're not enough, and this one, man, this one plays out in every one of our lives, I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. You know, I'm not talented enough. If, you act, if that is your filter, then you know what? It will, it will mute your life. It will diminish your life. You will never try anything that you might even possibly fail at because you've already decided that you are not enough for that. It's how he contains our lives because your life is nothing more, nothing less than the reflection of your heart or the reflection of your mind. You can focus on what God says about you. And the Bible says you be transformed by that. It says be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or you can focus on a lie and be conformed to that lie. How many of us in this room are so obsessed with our failures? You fail, so you fail, you got fired. You, you, you didn't succeed. You dropped the ball. You made a mistake. You messed up. And, and, and that happened how long ago? Oh, yeah, 20 years ago. And yet today you're so obsessed, so obsessed with failure, so obsessed with rejection. That's what you think about. That's become your filter. And when that becomes your filter, you don't take chances because you, you're, you're just sure you're going to get rejected. How many of us are obsessed by our body image? 
you actually hate the skin you are in. You know what that's called? Hell. That you get up and you live 80 or 90 years on this planet hating the container that God gave you, hating the skin that you are in. That, that is crazy making. And some of you just refuse to choose to say, thank you, God. It's not Brad Pitt, but it's not bad. <laughs> you know what? Thank you, God. Thank you that... Thank you, it is what it is. Thank you for my gene pool. You see, the Apostle Paul knows something that, that you need to know, that I need to remember, and that is that the battleground between heaven and hell is the human mind. Whoever wins that battle wins you. Whoever controls that battlefield controls your life. That's why the Apostle Paul said this. He said, the weapons of our warfare in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4 are not carnal, but they're mighty. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Do you hear that? He says that we, 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 he has weapons for us that are mighty for pulling down what? Strongholds. Casting down what? Imaginations. And bringing what? Every thought captive to the, you know what he He showed us something. He showed us that there's a dynamic in the spirit that, 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 that the enemy uses as a spiritual principle and it's a practical cognitive principle. And that is this, that a thought becomes an image, becomes a stronghold. And that's how the enemy controls us, contains us, locks us down far beneath our privilege, far beneath our, 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 our calling. It goes like this. You take a thought. I'm ugly. Take that thought. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm but ugly. And, um, and so you, you, you've got that thought and you're, you, 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 know, you keep thinking that thought. And every time you, you go to the, the mirror, you go, whoa, there it is again. Wow, wow, it's killing me. You know, I'm ugly. And you keep telling yourself that, okay? It's a flat thought. But flat thoughts shift when they hit the canvas of your imagination. Because what your imagination does to a flat thought, it drops onto the canvas of your imagination and all of a sudden, boom, it starts to breathe. It has a personality. It is alive now. You, you, you're imag my, my imagination, it does stuff you don't want to know. What I, it, Disney can't touch what my imagination does. My ima I, have, I don't need friends. I have a party going on in here all the time. And when stuff hits my imagination, and I've said it before, the future's not out there, you guys. It's not somewhere out there. The future is right here on the canvas of imagine your imagination. And you know what the future feels like? It feels like hope. The things that are alive right in here that are breathing, that give you joy and that give you hope, walk towards them and you'll find your destiny. But we have this imagination, so I'm ugly. Just hit my imagination and it goes bad. When it goes there, when it's a negative and it hits your imagination, it goes super ugly. 
Now, now I'm ugly on steroids, okay? And you keep feeding your thought life. You, you just allow this to keep playing. You know what happens? It becomes a hardwired belief. It becomes a stronghold. And we know this is true. Science tells us this is true as well. Because you take any thought, as soon as you have a thought, a fine, tiny, tiny little neural net is formed. Neurons are firing and wiring. And the more you use that tiny little neural net, pretty soon that tiny little neural net becomes a six-lane highway where every thought takes you to the same place. A stronghold, a hardwired belief. See, Satan wants you to think you're powerless. He wants you to think that you're worthless because if that thought goes through the process of thought, imagination, hardwiring, then when it matures, you always get stuck. You're never good enough. You'll never be loved. You'll never, you, you, you'll never be wanted in your life. You see, so many times there's some of us living our lives like we're begging on the corner, and yet every one of us was born and created royalty. See, I know what that's like. You know what that's like. I know what it's like to live with a fear of failure because I failed so much in my young life. And my, I failed so much. And, and, and I just expected to fail. And then I began to realize what was going on. I didn't figure this out until I was an adult. But what happened was, is, you know what? You look at your past pain and your past failure, and that's now the predictor of your future, right? And so you're looking at the future going, I'm going to just do what I did before. I'm going to fail. And I know what it's like to be so full of fear, fear that's rooted in a belief that I'm actually destined to fail. That I knew eventually I would screw up. And maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually I will, I, I, will, I will screw it up so badly. And I didn't even want to actually accomplish anything significant because then I would get on people's radars. And if you're up there and then you screw up, everybody knows it. But if nobody knows who you are because you're invisible and you screw up, well, that just doesn't hurt as much. And Paul tells us that, uh, get this, if this stuff's going on in your mind, but its very essence is spiritual. He said, the sword of the spirit is the word of God. The weapon that gets it done and gets it done right is the word of God. Okay? When God gets ready to fight, he doesn't roll up his sleeves. He uses his word. That's how he fights. And it says the word is mighty for pulling down strongholds. Is it possible the reason that you are just too busy to read your Bible is because the enemy knows that's the one weapon that will take him out. It's the one weapon that will lock, unlock you. It's the one weapon that will set you free. It's the one weapon that'll break your addiction. It'll break your self-destructed, self-sabotaging behavior. It's the one weapon. I love um, in Mark chapter 5 and in uh, Luke's gospel chapter 8, 
There's a, there's, there's a character in, in the story that is, belongs on a Marvel magazine. Like, like he, he is just bigger than life. The Bible tells us that this guy had opened himself up to so many demons that his demons had demons, okay? I mean, this, this guy, he, they had taken up all the real estate they could take up in his mind. He runs around the graveyard naked at night. That's, that's how he is. I mean, he, he eats people's cats at night and their dogs. And this guy, he, he is out there, okay? He, he is uh, he's so powerful. He's so full of darkness that he breaks chains with his hands. And Jesus tells his disciple to get in the boat. We're going to go across the sea to his neighborhood. And on route to his neighborhood, they just about drown. And so when they get the boat on shore, I mean, the disciples are spread out on the beach, just thankful they're not on the water anymore. And here it comes. Here it comes running towards them. I mean, the guy is so full of demons, he gets a group rate everywhere he goes. He, he, he comes running to them, and he is so full of rage, and so full of anger, so full of ugly. He's running towards them. He gets a couple steps before Jesus, and he crumbles at his feet. And he starts to worship Jesus. It's amazing that with 2,000 demons in him, they still can't stop him from worshiping Jesus. The man is so full of spiritual darkness, so full of rage. Chains couldn't contain him. Shackles couldn't contain him. But get this. Only one word from God sets him completely free. One word. Do you want to know why? Because one word from God is heavier, is weightier than 2,000 devils. One word from God. The Bible says this. God, the scriptures say, my ways are higher than your ways. And my words are higher or weightier than your words. The reason God's word is a powerful sword, a powerful weapon, is because his words are more powerful than anything that he created. If you were to take a sledgehammer, and I've done this before. Well, actually, I'm done, but I've told it before. If you take a sledgehammer and you go and you drop it off the bridge into the water in Lake Okanagan, which is so huge, with so much water, guess what will happen? The water will give way to the sledgehammer. Do you want to know why? Because the sledgehammer is weightier than the water. And God's words are spirit and they are weightier than your circumstances. They are weightier than your sickness. They are weightier than anything going on in the natural. And Jesus speaks one word over this guy who's full of devils. And, and, and he's clean. Just like that. We, we need to understand the power of God's word again. We need to wrap our hearts and our heads around the fact that, 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 that those are the only words that have the power to redeem your life and to save your soul, to set you free, to become the best version of you. They are there, those truths, God's scripture. And you know what else we need? We desperately need the Holy Spirit to move the, the word of God 
from our brains, from our intellect, down into our whatever this is. Somewhere in here, into our knower. Because this is where it transforms us. So I read the Bible a lot, but I confess to you, most of it just stays up here. And it doesn't really do you a ton of good. The stuff that's shifted by life is the stuff that drops down into here. And sometimes that's where worship becomes a very powerful tool, very powerful weapon, because, you know, there's no other name. There's no, how long did we sing that? Just sang that thing forever. I didn't start singing it. I didn't start singing it till she's, she's tired of singing it. Then I started singing it. I was just busy thinking about something else back there. But that's, you know, after a while, some, something drops in you. That's the transforming power of God's word when it hits, drops down into your soul. Because once it drops into your soul, it starts breathing inside of you, living inside of you. One of the ways that I know how to take the sword and, and, and make room for the Bible, for the truth of God's word to move from your, your intellect down into your being is I, I'm learning to pray it. I pray the Bible. I pray, not obviously you can't, right? I'm talking about a truth, a verse that really speaks to your pain, that really speaks to your circumstances. And I'll take that and I'll just start praying it. Thanking God for it in advance by faith, even before it happens, because he said it, so I'm trusting you, God. And then declaring it. And then praying it. Then declaring it and praying it. Now, hold on to it. It's kind of like a cow chews its cud. Is that the right word, cud? You know, they, they, they eat grass, and then they swallow it, and then they throw it back up, break it down some more. Slide it back down. Let's just do that three or four more times. And there's nothing more to chew, but they keep doing it. But in the same way, take one verse, take one truth that, 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 that speaks to your situation and, and, and chew it. Just roll it around and around and around throughout the day. I'm going to invite the band to come on up while we finish up here. Um, and I'm going to give you one other thing that you can possibly do as an act of spiritual warfare I've I've struggled with clinical depression in my life um, and I understand I understand there's a chemical imbalance I understand I understand what's going on in the natural realm around my depression when I was in my 20s I was so anxious uh, for three years, I, I, for three years, 21, 22, 23, I was so anxious that, that, that I, I shook and I couldn't sleep. And, and I, I just, I, 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 my, I was a mess. I didn't even know it was called depression back then. I just thought I was actually going out of my mind. I, li I literally thought that. And so I didn't tell anybody about what was going on because I, I knew that they would think I was out of my mind too. And, uh, but if I figured, I figured if, if, if God's word is weightier than a legion of devils, surely God's word is weightier than insomnia. I, I, it's just got to be true. And so I, uh, I made a war book. I went and bought a little 
notebook that I could put in my back pocket. And then I began to write in it all the verses, anything that God said about sleep. Because I actually thought that sleep was my biggest problem here. And whether you realize it or not, the Bible doesn't say much about sleep. And, uh, and so I had the rest of the book to fill. So I wrote verses on peace and his rest. And, and then almost like, and I was painting houses. I was working on a construction site at the time. But I had my book with me all the time. And as soon as nobody was around, I would be reciting these verses. I'd been praying these verses over my own life. And then at nighttime, when I was so anxious, I would just take one or two of them and try to focus all of my thought on the one or two. So it was kind of a practice of mindfulness as much as it was just making room for the word of God to somehow move from here to here. You know, in this verse, the Apostle Paul says three times, having done all to stand, stand, stand. You know, when you go to war, it, you don't get warm fuzzies very often. And when you go to war, it hurts. And when you go to war, you get tired. When you war, but you still stand. And I did this for a day. And then I did it for a month. And then I did it for months. And nothing happened. I, I, I didn't even know what else to do. I had no other weapons. So I kept just doing what I thought was the right thing to do. And then all of a sudden I had two good nights sleep in a row. Which was like a record. And then the next week I'd have two, three good nights sleep. Twelve months almost to the day from the time I began my war book. My depression broke. If you need to take medication for your depression, take your medication. I didn't know there was medication or else I would have. I promise you I would have. But it broke over my life. There are times when you have to hold on to God's word and you stand. And everything in the natural says you're an idiot. Everything in the natural says it's impotent. It doesn't work. That preacher deceived you. And you hold on to it, and you hold on to it, and you declare it, and you declare it, and you declare it. And the enemy lets loose. My oldest son had a, when he was 14, he was bulimic. And Marcy was just so tuned to it, I was oblivious to it, until it was really bad. And and I didn't know what to tell him. I, I, we took him to doctors, to, to eating, to, 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 to uh, dietitians. We, 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 we took him to psychologists. We took him to everybody. And, and they all had a different opinion. And nothing worked. And I said to my son, I said, I want to know how to do one thing, man. He said, here, here's a book. It's a war book. Find out what God says about you. Find out what God says about this. I said, son, just, just do it. And then my son, he walked around crazy like me, reading this little book and reciting it and declaring it and praying it. And he went on like that in three years. He stuck with it. Having done all to stand, he stood and he stood and he stood. And the day came, three years later, he said, dad, it's broken. I said, how do you know? He said, I just know. I said, it's done. 
And that day, it was done. And you say, no, 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 it doesn't, it's not, it was done. My youngest son got beat up in high school and threatened and bullied. And he lived with this, this traumatizing fear. There were times when he just didn't, wouldn't be out of our sight, wouldn't leave our side. He said, I don't know what to do, Dad. And I said, start with this verse. That he's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I said, start with that one. I gave him a book. He filled it with verses. He filled with the word of God. And then he went to war. And it took time, man. I'm not telling, there's no quick fix here. But it broke. I asked him about the story. It was so traumatizing. He couldn't barely remember any of it. I asked him yesterday about it. I said, do you remember when? And he goes, man, that's just... I don't have much memory around that. I'll tell you one more story and then I'm done. One story, one verse. I'll get you out of here. So when I was a, a, a brand new youth pastor, okay, like I was a disaster. Uh, and uh, I, I was raised Baptist. And my first job as a youth pastor was in the charismatic church. So I, I just didn't know what side of the fence I was on half the time. We had a big youth ministry, and I had um, John and Joanne McDonald help me with our ministry. And this is a young couple. They were expecting a child. And one night after one of our meetings, they said, could you pray for me? Or could you pray for us? And so I'm, I prayed for them. And while I was praying for them, I, I saw this, like this porcelain baby. I saw this shiny, pure white baby that was shiny with health. I remember that phrase, shiny with health. And so I just, again, I, I was a Baptist. We, we, if we saw things, we didn't tell anybody because that's just not the way we rolled. And, um, and, and so I never took what I saw seriously until this day. It was so vivid. I said, okay, I saw this shiny, that your baby is, is shining with health. Well, she sobbed, and then she told me from the time she found out she was pregnant, she had this paralyzing fear that there was something wrong with the baby. And um, so she, she felt relieved and happy. She had the baby, and a few weeks later, I think within the first month, I heard, I got a phone call. He said, did you hear that Joanne and John's baby has cancer. They're at the hospital, children's hospital. And I, I, I dropped whatever I was doing. I went right to the hospital and their family was in there. And, and they had, her grandma and his grandma and these girls were women of faith, prayer warriors. And um, they cleared the room and it was just John, Joanne, the two grandmas and myself. And the one grandma says, is it true what Joanne told us? When you prayed for them, this is what you saw. And I said, yes, that's exactly what I saw. And these ladies, I'm telling you what, we, we just put our arms around each other and around this little baby. And they began to pray this prayer over this child. I, I'll tell you what, I was shaking. There was something so powerful going on in this prayer. I could feel a war breaking. I could feel the spirit of God moving. And, and they prayed this prayer. It's a funny little prayer. I might have even been wrong for all I knew. 
But they said, no, we're going to lock on to that. And we're trusting that was God for you. And guess what happened? That, that moment right there, the cancer got washed right out of that little baby. Completely healed. They were, gone. they were home before the week was out. There's no explanation in the natural for that. Except for his words are weightier than cancer. Is it possible the picture that is alive in you right now for your future is more weighty than the obstacles that are stopping you from getting there? The dreams in your heart are more weighty than your fear. That's why God said to Joshua, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. And then you'll be prosperous and successful. He said, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. What is your addiction? What is the stronghold that's containing you? What is the one thing that's keeping you from the best version of you? Buy a book. You don't even have to go on, write it by hand. You can go online and create your own war book. But start to look to what God's word says about your situation and then hold on to that and stand. Having done everything, stand. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your precious word. It's not just pretty. It's not just encouraging. It is powerful. And Father, I'm pretty sure every one of us walked into this room with a stronghold, with a... With a uh, a habit with a, an addiction. We walked into this room broken. And Jesus, we've carried these things for so long. I pray that courage would rise up within every single one of us, Father, to dare to stand against these things, to dare to take them on and to take your word and the authority of your word and the power of your word and stand against the devices, the lies, the voices, voices of our past, the voices of darkness, the voices of confusion, the voices of depression, voices of anxiety. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to Audio from the House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.